Good morning and welcome. <clears throat> Our hearts and altar and thy love the flame. <clears throat> Let's stand and sing when peace like a river. <clears throat>
The church's one foundation. You may be seated. Good morning. Welcome to this service this morning. <clears throat> We've all heard uh, the saying, practice makes perfect and the Bible actually says quite a bit about practice, um, maybe not the actual word, but uh, the actions and um, uses yeah, the meanings, whatever ties into practice, it uses, it uses that quite a bit. And we can practice a lot of things, we can practice good things, and we can practice bad things. Um, practice is to do something, um, to act, it's an action, um, putting time into something, taking, taking it seriously, taking things seriously. If you want to get good at something, you got to take it seriously. Um, yeah, if I want to practice something, I, and if I want to get really good at it, I put, put a lot of time and effort and um, I spend a lot of time on it. And I study every little detail, 
and um, learn everything about it. That way I can, that way I can get better, better. And um, yeah, the more I practice, the better I'm gonna get. Um, one thing, for example, I, I like to cut hair, give haircuts, and um, you know, when I first gave my first haircut, it was probably pretty bad. And um, I didn't, didn't stop there. I watched videos, I you know, studied the details, and I got better and gave lots of haircuts. And um, yeah, I just kept getting better and better. And you know, I didn't master it yet. I don't have it mastered, I'm not perfect at it. And I don't think I'll ever be perfect. I don't think I'll ever be able to give you know, an absolute like, perfect haircut, but there's always, there's always gonna be little blemishes. But you know, if I would have that attitude, I could give up and I could, could fill that time with something else. I could practice something else. Um, could do something else instead of, instead of that, fill, fill that time with other things and um, maybe, not, maybe not so good things. Um, you know, it's easy, can be easy to, uh, yeah, to practice anything, but we just, we need to make sure we're doing the right thing. Um, read out of Romans, Romans 1, there's, I'm going to read some good things that we can practice, and then I'm going to read some, or I'm going to read not some good things that there are that we do, and then um, some things that we can do that are good. Um, I'm not not going to read the whole the whole passage here, but um, I'm going to read a couple verses. Um, I'm going to start with verse 16 and verse 17. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And then it goes on here to say, um, it goes on, says a lot of um, sins, I guess people say, that we can do. Um, and in verse, or in chapter one and verse chapter two. And in the end, in verse 32, it says, Though they know God's righteousness, that though they know God's righteous decree, that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to them who practice them. And um, I know, I mean, there's sins, there's things in here that we've all done that I've done, and um, yeah, I think we just got to be, we need to be careful that we're not falling into into any of these things. And um, I would encourage you, I think. Most of us know what Romans 1 is, but, or have read it and know it pretty well, but I would encourage you, if, you, if you're not real familiar with it, um, go home and study Romans. And Romans, the whole book of Romans is a really good book, and um, it's a good book to study, and I've done studies on it. Uh, the next couple verses I'm going to read out of John, John 5, 28 to 29. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out, those who have done good to the resurrection of life, 
and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. And, you know, here it says, we've, these, are, these are the judgments of things that we do, things that we practice. Um, we, we, do, we can do evil and we can do good, and there's going to be a judgment um, for everything that we do, whether it's good or evil. And, yeah, someday we're all going to stand, stand before the throne and we're all going to come, come to God. And he's, it's, it's not going to matter if we did a lot of good. If, we, I mean, if we're not saved, obviously, we need to, we need to be saved. But, um, yeah, we, it's, we're going to be judged for every little thing that we do. And Jesus, Jesus can fix, Jesus can save us and we can, um, you know, we can, have that assurance. Um, next passage I'm going to read is 2 Corinthians verse, chapter 5 and verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for, for what he has done in the body, whether it be good or evil. And, yeah, that's it's talking about that right before. Um, yeah, whatever we do, whether it's good or evil, it's, um, we're, we're going to be held accountable for what, we, for what we do here with our bodies here on this earth or what, what we do here on earth. And the last passage is Philippians 4, verses 8 and 9. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, Whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is any worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Um, yeah, these verses here, it's, it's talking finally about the good things that we can do. Um, Whatever is true, we need to, these, are, these are things we need to practice on, on a daily basis, every day. We need to practice these kind of things. Whatever is true, um, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable. Um, these are some really good things here that we can take home. And I think if we, um, whatever we think or our thoughts, they're going to turn into actions. So if we think about this, if we... If we um, Strive to do, strive to be this, strive to be true, honorable. Um, it's going to happen, and um, I think that also comes with reading the God's word. We need to practice, practice everything else in here, not just, not just this. I think there's more than this, but I think these are uh, the basis of what we can learn and um, what we can be. And, yeah, I don't think there's anything for me... Um, some would, someone would call me these things, I think, um, yeah, it would make me feel really good. And I think, I mean, uh, doing something right. And, um, yeah, I think that's for each one of us. I think we strive to be 
strive to be what these words are true, honorable, pure, lovely, and commendable. And yeah, if there's any, is there any of these are worthy of praise, we've got to think on these things and we've got to do these things. Uh, with that, let's stand uh, for prayer. Father, I thank you for this day, and I thank you that we can um, come to church and learn about you, and Lord, I just pray that we would be able to dig into your word um, in our devotions, and even this morning in Sunday school, and I just pray that we would be able to um, practice what we learn and put time into it, and um, yeah, just do it, do it with all of our heart, and um, yeah, I just pray that we would be able to become better Christians through it. I know um, the, maybe the better we get, the, um, the more we learn. We're, we're always there's always going to be more. We're never going to be we're never going to be perfect, but we can we can still practice to uh, perfect um, perfect the uh, mistakes and everything, the good things that we do. And um, yeah, I just thank you for that promise. And I pray for uh, Daniel Lapp as he brings the message. I just pray that you would just be with him and um, help give him the words to uh, speak and pray for us um, that we could be attentive and listen as well. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. Welcome each one. Special welcome to our visitors. Uncle Jake's good to have you guys here with us this morning. Thank you, Joel, for, for that devotion and the songs, Doug. And now to think our adult Sunday school lesson is Genesis 49. We'll be looking at the first 12 verses. And it's uh, Jacob blessing or prophesying cursing, whatever you want to call it, prophesying about his, his sons, and we'll only be looking at the first four, the oldest four brothers, but the, some of the small but, but drastic decisions that they made in their lives, and how that, that carried, that was the prophecy of not only them, but, but their descendants, thinking especially of Reuben, the excellency of dignity, the excellency of strength, but nevertheless, because of what you did. And uh, Doug, we sang the song, There is a Redeemer. <laughs> and if we look at our own lives, we have, we have things that we should be held accountable for. We have things that we can be judged for, but we have a Redeemer. And, and uh, I, I love how in this whole story of Jacob and and his sons and all of this, there's, there's a redeemer that comes through uh, for all of us. So we'll lift the offering at this time. It goes for Christian Aid Ministries.
try not to comment too much on the lesson, but I did also want to say the, the other song that we sang. You know, it's easy for us to look at these characters and judge them. They were so long ago, they're not going to take it personal. But we sang, Christ hath regarded my helpless estate and hath shed his own blood for my soul. And I want us to think about our own selves as we look at these men this morning. So we invite our, our visitors to join us in discussion. Children, um, if there are visiting children, you can find someone your age. The children to classes in the front are dismissed at this time. Basement and youth classes are dismissed. And then for the adult classes, we have a men's class in the front, a class in the auditorium, and a class in the foyer women's class in, in the front here, and then three women's classes in the back, and the adults are dismissed. Good morning and uh, welcome. I uh, appreciated last Sunday having uh, John fill in when we were in uh, Connecticut and uh, also enjoyed being able to go back and listen to the lesson later and uh, just thought he had a lot of good insight into into the lesson and yeah just enjoyed that. Okay our lesson this morning is in uh, Chapter 49, Genesis 49, looking at the first 12 verses. Uh, let's bow for a word of prayer. Lord, we thank you for another beautiful morning you've given us. Thank you for health and strength. We're able to gather in this way. Lord, thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you that we live in a land where we're still free to gather in this way and, and worship you as as we see fit, and we just pray that your spirit would be here with us, that we could be uh, strengthened and encouraged through your word and through our fellowship with one another. We uh, pray your blessing on the remainder of the service. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> okay, so this is now, the, this chapter describes the, the final moments of, of Jacob's life, or it seems that way. If you if you skip ahead to the, the last verse, it just says, And when Jacob had made an end of commanding his sons, he gathered up his feet into the bed and yielded up the ghost. And so it seems he died you know, immediately after giving these, these prophecies to his sons. 
is the final moments of Jacob's life here. And uh, so he's, he's basically uh, making prophecies here of what's, what's going to happen with each one of the, the sons and their tribes. And I think it's the, the first we read in the Bible of, a, of like a conscious prophecy being given. There's other prophecies prior to this, like, um, like Genesis 3.15, where God promises that the seed of the woman would bruise the serpent's head. That's more a prophecy given by God. I think there's others in Genesis, but this would be like the first that we read of a man prophesying outright like this. So I was thinking about that and um, thinking about the kind of faith that it, would, that it takes to prophesy in that way. Obviously, he was inspired by God to say the things he did, but it would still take faith to, to speak that. Um, for one thing, if, you know, if, these, if these things don't take place, you know, the person could be ridiculed or mocked for what he said, you know, if, if it's taken to be a false prophecy. Um, yeah, I don't know that I ever really thought about it in that way before, that uh, the kind of faith that it would have taken to uh, speak words of prophecy like that. But just the fact that so many of these prophecies in the Bible, or all of them really, are, they, they take place, they, they're fulfilled eventually. Not all prophecies fulfilled yet, but the fact that we see so many prophecies be, be fulfilled should bolster our faith, right? I think there's many people that have come to faith in Christ simply by reading and recognizing just how many prophecies that, that Christ fulfilled. And, you know, the chances of one man fulfilling uh, so many pr- prophecies are just, you know, very small, uh, other than it's, you know, it's, it's real. Jesus fulfilled over, uh, over 300 prophecies, according to what I read. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it does. It does seem like they would have all been present there. Um, yeah. Okay, let's let's read the first couple verses there. Jacob called unto his sons and said, "Gather yourselves together, that I may tell you that which shall befall you in the last days. Gather yourselves together, and hear, ye sons of Jacob, and hearken unto Israel your father." So he just. He calls them together and he says, he wants to tell them what, what's going to happen to them. It says in the last days, I'm not sure exactly what, that, what that's referring to, but I think it's, he is telling them things that, that will occur in their lifetime and beyond. In verse 2, if you notice, he, he says, Ye sons of Jacob, and hearken unto Israel your father. So he recognizes there that he is both uh, Jacob and Israel. He's kind of recognizing 
you know, what God has, what God has done in him in, in being Israel and also, you know, what he has to battle against in, in being uh, Jacob. And just kind of recognize that his sons would have the same thing. You know, God, God, I think, was working in their lives, but they also had the, uh, their old sin nature to, to deal with. And we also have those two, real, those two realities as well. The work that God does in us, and then also our own uh, sin nature. First <clears throat> uh, Chronicles five. If you want to turn there, the first couple of verses. Chronicles 5 kind of gives uh, just a few more uh, bits of information on Reuben here. It says, Now the sons of Reuben, the firstborn of Israel, for he was the firstborn, but for as much as he defiled his father's bed, his birthright was given unto the sons of Joseph, the son of Israel. And the genealogy is not to be reckoned after the birthright. For Judah prevailed above his brethren, and of him came the chief ruler. But the birthright was Joseph's. We read we read that in the in the last chapter how the birthright went to Joseph and to his two sons. But here, verse three, it just says, Reuben, thou art my firstborn, my might, and the beginning of my strength, the excellency of dignity, and the excellency of power. What uh, would you get out of that verse? What's Jacob saying there? Seemed to me like he's saying that uh, Reuben is his pride and joy, his firstborn. Um, and obviously, he favored Rachel's sons over Leah's, and so you know Joseph was his, was favored. But I think there was still something here about his firstborn that was, uh, yeah, something special. But then four says, Unstable is water, thou shalt not excel. Because thou wentest up to thy father's bed, thou defiledest, then defiledest thou it. He went up to my couch. Okay. You're saying Ru- the tribe of Reuben. The tribe of Reuben. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I didn't uh, didn't study that, but that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Right. 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 Yeah, I totally agree with what you're saying. I don't, you know, I, I don't feel like we love our firstborn any more than the ones that followed, but there is there's something special. It's the first time, it's new, and so. Yeah. They have a responsibility on them to set an example, right? But yeah, in reality, they all individually have to have to choose to follow God. <clears throat> but yeah, in the in the last few chapters, we do. It does seem like the brothers are different, right, than they were uh, earlier in their lives, and I think you know. Grace was there for them, but there were still consequences that went with the uh, choices that they made. Probably a lot of it, and and just the like the dysfunctional home there, right? The, the competition between the two wives, and yeah, you would think that had a lot to do with the development of. Of those sons. That Israel found what? Okay. Yeah, I I would. I mean, just just reading that, you would think it'd probably refer to material blessings, right? Yeah. 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 Right, they didn't have a, a very good prophecy spoken out over them. But I don't, I don't know that this necessarily meant that from then on they didn't have a choice. This was just how it's going to go. Uh, even, like, if you read what was spoken to Simeon and Levi, they were both given the same, it's, it almost seems like a curse. It says, cursed be their anger. But it turned out very different for the two tribes. And uh, yeah, we'll we'll get into that yet. Maybe maybe before we get into that, we'll just finish up here on three and four. Yeah, it's it's just kind of a sad thing that he says there in in four. Unstable as water, thou shalt not excel. Just seems like a a curse spoken over him. But um, yeah, called him unstable as as water. 
I think another translation would say uncontrollable is water. <clears throat> and we know that water is, is a very a good thing if it's contained, but it can also cause a lot of destruction and damage, like in a, in a hurricane or a tsunami or something like that. And that's, that's kind of what uh, it seems like he's referring to here. With his immorality, he yeah, brought a lot of uh, destruction to his own life. <clears throat> Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So through through that through his uh, immorality, the the blessing of the that usually went to the firstborn. The blessing, priesthood, and and like the ruling authority were divided among the brothers. Uh, you see, you know, Judah got the uh, would have got part of that blessing or. He was clearly the leader, even though, like Joseph, got the uh, would have got that blessing, and through Ephraim and Manasseh, uh, Judah would have also got part of it, and and it was late, uh, through him that uh, a lot of the kings would come through his line. Okay, reading verse. Five and six there. Simeon and Levi are brethren. Instruments of cruelty are in their habitations. O my soul, come not thou into their secret, unto their assembly, mine honor. Be not thou united. For in their anger they slew a man, and in their self-will they dig down a wall. Cursed be their anger, for it was fierce, and their wrath, for it was cruel. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. So we... Remember that uh, what that's referring to is when they wiped out the men of uh, Shechem in retaliation of the, the rape of their sister Dinah. And I don't know that they didn't have a right to be angry about that, but I think it was their response. Uh, yeah, it says there. Their anger was fierce, and their wrath, it was cruel. I think there's, there would have been a place for righteous anger there, but they uh, took it into their own hands to avenge their sister. <clears throat> so, yeah, this was not a righteous kind of anger. I think there's a verse that says, be angry and, and sin not. Right, talking about a righteous anger, and maybe the difference is, you know, it says they they impose their self-will. In their self-will, they dig down a wall. <clears throat> yeah, 
Yeah, and just a needless slaughter there. So they're told they're going to be scattered. And uh, so the tribe of, of Simeon, when they started out, they would have been the, the third largest tribe when they left Egypt. And uh, by the time they reached Canaan, they would have been the, the smallest. Many of them would have perished along the way. Like six, 63% of them, I think it said. Yeah. Yeah, so for them, this, this um, curse almost turned into a blessing because they became the, the priests. And they were also scattered. They didn't have their own land. But, uh, and, and maybe it had something to do with what we read in, in Exodus 32 when uh, the golden calf was being worshipped. And Moses says, um, well, maybe I'll just turn there. Exodus 32. Verse 26. And Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said, Who is on the Lord's side? Let him come unto me. And all the sons of Levi gathered themselves together unto him. And that just goes on from there. But yeah, the, the children of Levi were the ones that responded to that and said they're, they're going to be on the Lord's side. And, and later they became the, the priests. So I, I don't know if it was that particular choice that they made that kind of reversed this. Um, but yeah, I think it's, it's just another, uh, another example of redemption and, and forgiveness. What are your thoughts there on, the, on those few verses before we move on? Okay, the rest of the verses are now referring to Judah. Verse 8, Judah, thou art he whom thy brethren shall praise. Thy hand shall be in the neck of thine enemies. Thy father's children shall bow down before thee. Judah is a lion's whelp from the prey. My son, thou art gone up. He stooped down. He couched as a lion. And as an old lion, who shall rouse him up? The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh come. And unto him shall the gathering of the people be. So it's just prophesied that, uh, you know, the, the scepter shall not depart from Judah. The, you know, the scepter was, I guess, an, an object held by the, the king. Uh, so that's saying the uh, their tribe would be the, the ruling tribe until the time of when, when Shiloh comes. I think that's referring to Jesus there. And we know that Judah wasn't perfect by a long shot. 
But yeah, just another example of, of God's grace given to the undeserving. And I think this prophecy, like if you read this about Judah, it's all of it is pointing towards Jesus Christ, who would be his his greatest descendant. Right. He offered himself in place of Benjamin. Yeah, of all the brothers, it does seem he took the most responsibility for his actions and had a change of heart there. Yeah, he would have gone out to meet Joseph. Through history, has used imperfect people and redeemed people, right? <clears throat> right. Something that God continues to do in our lives. <clears throat> it doesn't end with the new birth. Uh, I've heard it said this way. Uh, you know, the new birth occurs in a moment, but sanctification takes a lifetime. And that's, that's how God works in our lives. Right. <laughs> so this prophecy of, uh, of Judah's line being kings, how long did it, how long did it take for that to be fulfilled? According to what I read, it would have been 640 years until David was king. So it wouldn't have been until 640 years after this prophecy was made that uh, the first of Judah's line would, would have been king. And then it wasn't until 1,600 years later that, that Jesus completely fulfilled this prophecy. <clears throat> and I guess... Pretty much all that time from David until Jesus, the uh, Judah's line would have been the, the ruling class. You know, there was times in their history where uh, they were maybe taken captive, but they still kind of had their own uh, self-governance. And it wasn't until it wasn't until Herod and the Romans took took the last of of that away from them, um, and, and and that was possibly when Jesus was a young boy. 
And I think some of the rabbis at that time would have considered it an unfulfilled prophecy because they saw the, the scepter pass from, from Judah and they didn't recognize that the Messiah was there or they didn't know it at the time that he was there, but he was possibly just a, a young boy. just thought that was interesting that it just, it, it was fulfilled, you know, in, in perfect time. Maybe Jesus wasn't in his ministry yet, but he was on the earth at the time when the Romans would have taken the, the last of their, like being able to govern themselves when that was taken from them. <clears throat> it will be fulfilled, right? Yeah, I thought I thought of that as well. There's there's things still ahead of us that yeah, because of all this fulfilled prophecy that we see, we can trust that it's it's coming. I didn't research that. I'm not sure who the like the descendants of Judah would be today. Might have to look into that. Does anyone have anything on that? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I might have to do more research into that. And when that was in Israel in 86, they were telling us that there was about three lost tribes, but I'm not sure which one Okay. I've heard of I've heard of the the lost tribes. I'm not sure which which ones they are, but Okay. So that would be the tribe of Judah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I think the last two verses are maybe referring to Judah's material abundance. I think they would have, uh, the land of Judah would have had a lot of vineyards. Uh, I'm not sure if it's referring to more than just that, but I think that's at least partly what it's referring to there. <clears throat> Does anyone have anything else before we close? I think our time's about up. Well, thank you for your input this morning.
The attendance this morning was 196. Next Sunday's offering is for Bald Eagle Boys Camp, and the Sunday school lesson for next Sunday is Genesis 49, verses 13 through 28. Welcome to each one. Looks like we have a full house this morning. Special welcome to the visitors. Um, for the, uh, the offering next Sunday for Bold Eagle, I don't have a whole lot on that other than most of us know what, what Bold Eagle is about. Just, it's for troubled boys specifically. Um, run pretty much the same as Allegheny, which I think Doug is involved in there. So maybe if you have questions about that, ask Doug about similar ministry. So that's what the offering for is next Sunday. Um, a number of announcements. Make sure to look in your bulletin. This is a week for Bible study, Wednesday evening. Looking forward to that. Um, there is a bishop ordination at Silver Lake tonight. And as noted in the bulletin, all three of the ordained brothers are in the lot there. Ben is actually in, at Silver Lake this weekend um, assisting with the ordination. Um, that's where they are just by way of announcement and I guess a prayer request, Kurt's left, they went to be with Floyd. He came this morning and I guess got overwhelmingly dizzy and had to go home. So um, let's keep him in prayers, not sure. I guess not sure what, quite what's going on there. And then also for Sam, you're going in for surgery Thursday? Thursday, yeah. So you wanna include both of them in prayer during prayer time. Any other announcements this morning? Mark? Uh, for the youth tonight, uh, meet at our house at 5.30. We'll have a progressive pizza supper. So you'll be going around. So for the church, people be ready for the youth coming to get your pepperoni or whatever else. So Mark's at, Mark's at 5.30 this evening for the youth. I was mentioned we have Bible study on Wednesday evening. Uh, Mark King's going to be sharing on Hebrews 13. Uh, looking for a few volunteers to have uh, children's classes in the basement. If everyone, if anyone's interested, uh, talk to me after church. Need one for the three to six-year-olds, and then one for the seven to eleven-year-olds. So at least you're wanting at least two volunteers for for the children's class. Any other announcements? All right. If not, we'll spend some time in singing. So with the offering for Bald Eagle, I would like to say a little bit. Um, boys camps have been uh, pretty, pretty passionate um, for myself. I, I really um, appreciate what boys camps are doing. And um, there's been significant waiting lists at, at every boys camp um, for the last number of years, especially since COVID. And um, so we would definitely encourage support for, for the boys camps. Um, there's actually a new boys camp starting in Missouri and um, they bought land there and are looking for um, funds and staff to get that started. So um, you can pray for the boys camps and specifically also the camp there starting in Missouri. Uh, let's sing number 310 in the hymns of the church. Gentle Holy Spirit, number 310. <clears throat> Gentle Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. 
I will take your selections. Did you say 400? 400 and then 681. Number 400 in the hymns of the church. Under his wings, number 400.
401. And what was the one over here? 681. 681. Let's sing 681 and then we'll sing 401. Number 681. Let's stand and sing this song, number 681, and then we'll close with 401. I hear the Savior say,
and number 401. And those of you who want to sing the high tenor, you're welcome to join in on verses 3 and 4. Number 401, Unto the Hills. And let's remain standing after this song for scripture reading and prayer. Unto the hills around do I lift up my Thank you. Well, good morning and welcome to the service for scripture reading. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 12. We're blessed to have Brother Daniel Lapp with us this morning. Daniel is from Mine Road. He's here on the giving his assigned topic on the pulpit exchange. I know Daniel, ever since I was, I don't know how young, in school, he was principal, he was a teacher there, so Daniel's been 
think he's still teaching Bible classes there at Fairhaven at school, so I've really learned to appreciate Daniel the last quite a number of years. So Matthew chapter 12, begin reading in verse 1, and we'll read through verse 13. It says, At that time Jesus went on the Sabbath day through the corn, and his disciples were hungered and began to pluck the ears of corn and to eat. But when the disciples, when the Pharisees saw it, they said unto him, Behold, thy disciples do that which is not lawful to do upon the Sabbath day. But he said unto them, Have ye not read what David did when he was hungered, and they that were with him? How he entered into the house of God, and did eat the showbread, which was not lawful for him to eat, neither for them which were with him, but only for the priests? Or have ye not read in the law? How that on the Sabbath days the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are blameless? But I say unto you, that in this place is one greater than the temple. But if ye had known what this meaneth, I will have mercy and not sacrifice, ye would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath day. And when he was departed thence, he went into their synagogue, and behold, there was a man which had his hand withered. And they asked him, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath days, that they might accuse him? And he said unto them, What man shall there be among you that shall have one sheep, and it fall into a pit on the Sabbath day? Will he not lay hold on it and lift it out? How much then is a man better than a sheep? Wherefore it is lawful to do well on the Sabbath days. Then said he to the man, Stretch forth thine hand. And he stretched it forth, and it was restored whole, like as the other. For our prayer time this morning, if we could just have maybe one brother pray for Brother Sam, and somebody else pray for Floyd, and then I'll pray. So go ahead. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for a morning like this on a Sunday where we can gather together as brothers and sisters. We set a day aside. But Father, right now, I just want to commit Sam and Mary into your hands. Lord, he had surgery on Thursday. The doctors will be able to perform what needs to be done and that it will go well. May your hands be skillful. And now, Father, we also know that you're the healer. You're the one that has made the body through the one way. And, and so, Lord, just bring healing after the surgery. Amen. Lord, I pray for Brother Floyd. Desire that he could be healthy and strong again and be with us here. We're not sure what the problem is. We believe you know. We pray that you could be with Floyd and Marilyn and Burton Shaw in a special way just now. Give them wisdom to know what to do. Our Father in heaven, I just thank you too for just the privilege it is to be your people, to be part of your church. I thank you for the privilege of being part of the church here at Peckway. God, as we think of the different needs here, we think of Sam and, and his surgery this week. God, I just pray too that you would have your hand upon him and his family. pray you would grant healing. And also for Floyd, God, I pray that we just grant healing to his body, but just help him to be 
strong, to be faithful. I just thank you for the blessing that both brothers are here in, in the church. God, I pray for our service here this morning. Pray for Brother Daniel as he shares what you have laid on his heart. I pray you would help us to be attentive, help us to learn, help us to change. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. It's a privilege to be here with you this morning, and I wish each of you God's blessing. As was already said, I was asked to uh, preach on my assigned topic, and it's observance of the Lord's Day. So we're thinking today about the Sabbath, about Sunday, and how that relates to our lives and what we do. <clears throat> the word Sabbath in the Old Testament comes from a Hebrew word which means to rest from labor. And in the Old Testament, this is given in several different contexts. Sabbath day refers to what we would call Saturday, the seventh day. Uh, but there's all, it, the word is also used as like in a Sabbath year. or And I think it's often referred to as a trusting of God. Because like in the Sabbath year, for instance, they did not... Um, so, and didn't have their normal harvest. So how were they to maintain life? Well, it was a symbol of trust in God. <clears throat> I want to start by thinking in Genesis 1 and 2. You want to turn there, you can. I probably won't be reading a lot specifically there. But in Genesis 1, we have the uh, creation, okay, the days of creation. And then it comes to the seventh day, and it says God's work was completed, and he rested on the Sabbath day. And then in chapter 2, uh, I think chapter 2 is an expansion of what happened on the sixth day. So, what did Adam and Eve do on that first Sabbath? Well, the Bible doesn't really tell us, but I can imagine them having fellowship with God on that first Sabbath day. The last part of chapter 2 implies that Adam and Eve had a, a good relationship with each other and a good relationship with God. <clears throat> and it just seems like, you know, that seventh day was a perfect day for a day off and a picnic with God.
I'd like for you to turn with me to Exodus chapter 16. I have found this account fascinating. It kind of explains the beginning of uh, the manna that God sent to the children of Israel. <clears throat> and <clears throat> in verses 17 and 18, it says, And the children of Israel did so and gathered some more, some less. And when they did meet it with an omer, he that gathered much had nothing over, and he that gathered little had no lack. They gathered every man according to his eating. There's a number of things related to this manna um, that I find very interesting, and one of them is, is mentioned here. It seems like it always reached and they didn't have leftovers. Uh, not sure how that worked. The other thing is that in relation to this whole thing, it talks about some that gathered and tried to keep it for the next day. Well, that didn't work either because it spoiled and it stank. Okay? And then they were told that on the sixth day, they're supposed to gather twice as much. Well... I guess they were like we are, you know. <laughs> Some of them didn't do it. And they went out on the seventh day and there was nothing there. <clears throat> but can you imagine what this was like for 40 years? Okay, Six days, there was always manna on the ground that they could gather. The seventh day... Nothing. And you know, I'm assuming they were people like we are and that this idea of having some left over for the next day and it's spoiling, I'm guessing happened more than once in those 40 years. Uh, but you know, what a reminder. Every week... They were reminded about this. You know, a reminder of God, the God of creation, the God of deliverance. And we see over and over in the Old Testament, God saying, I am the God that brought you out of Egypt. You know, and here they had this reminder. Turn with me also to Exodus chapter 20. Want to read a few verses here. This is part of the Ten Commandments. In Exodus 20, verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shalt thou labor... And do all thy work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not 
do any work, thou, nor thy son, nor thy daughter, thy manservant, nor thy maidservant, nor thy cattle, nor thy stranger that is within thy gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that in them is, and rested the seventh day. Wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. We see there the, the explanation. Verse 11. Why? Okay. Because you're remembering God. You're remembering creation. Okay. That's why every seventh day you set aside. There's no work. And in uh, chapter 31 of Exodus... In verses 12 and following, it gives some specific instructions. And they, I mean, non-observance of the Sabbath day was punishable with death. I don't, I don't think I understand the importance that God gave this. But notice verses 16 and 17 here in Exodus 31. Wherefore the children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath to observe the Sabbath throughout their generations for a perpetual covenant. It is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. Notice it's for a sign, for a reminder. It's symbolic. And it's interesting that a uh, few chapters later when Moses was uh, telling them about how to build the tabernacle and all that stuff, and they were just getting into that. They were doing the offerings. And like at the beginning of the chapter that talks about how they're supposed to do this, the first verses of that chapter are a reminder about the Sabbath. So here's an important thing, an important work that you're supposed to do for God. You're supposed to build the tabernacle, but remember the Sabbath. I'd like to read a few verses from Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 20. Verses 19 and 20 says, 
I am the Lord your God. Walk in my statutes and keep my judgments and do them. And hallow my Sabbaths, and they shall be a sign between me and you, that ye may know that I am the Lord your God. So, you know, we have the Moses, the Ten Commandments, the children of Israel, the law. But then many years later, in the time of Ezekiel, God was reminding them, my Sabbaths are a sign. They're to remind you about me. And again, I think this, this Sabbath idea is, you know, included in that is this whole idea of trusting God for our well-being. You know, you know we could protest, we could say, but I, I need to work, I need to earn a living. I think this idea of a day in seven is, is a part of our putting our trust in God. Okay, let's uh, think about the New Testament. Maybe before we look at those New Testament ideas, we can raise this question. Well, you know, okay, so we're living in the New Testament era. We're not living under the law. Why even bother looking at those scriptures? Well, it seems to me that some of those principles and ideas that the Sabbath... um, symbolized in the Old Testament are very good principles for us to think about today. Okay, so Brother Paul read from Matthew 12 about the disciples and their um, breaking the Sabbath in the eyes of the Pharisees. And why were they breaking the Sabbath? Because they were thrashing you know, taking a little wheat into their hands to eat a little bit on the Sabbath, that was work. And you weren't supposed to work on the Sabbath. Notice verse 8 says, For the Son of Man, I believe that refers to Christ, is Lord even of the Sabbath day. You know, As I look at this scripture and how Jesus responded to the Pharisees' criticism, I I think of Matthew 5. You know, Matthew 5 clearly says a number of things, and you heard that it used to be like this, but now it's like this. And it seems to me that, that here in this scripture is a similar idea. Yes, the Sabbath is important, but 
Worship of God and doing good is important. In Mark 2.27, Jesus says, The Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. I think Jesus is saying that the Sabbath or a day of rest is for the physical and spiritual benefit of God's people. The idea of some physical rest and remembering that God is the creator. In Matthew 28, in relation to Jesus' resurrection, says in verse 1, In the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. Notice this is the first day of the week, the day of Jesus' resurrection. An earthquake, an angel came down. And later in the day, we read about um, Jesus appearing to two of the, his disciples that were on the road to Emmaus. Jesus appeared to the 11 disciples apparently that evening. So in the disciples' mind, this was important. This was the day that they realized that Christ was not going to stay in the grave. It was the first day of the week, and they called it the Lord's Day. The day of Pentecost, the day when the Holy Spirit was given, was the Lord's Day, first day of the week. A few other examples from the New Testament. On Paul's third missionary journey, he was in Troas. <clears throat> I guess it's good we have a morning service here. But that was an evening service. And Paul preached until midnight. And there were some people there that have the same problems we do today. They get tired. And one of them fell out the window because he fell because he fell. <clears throat> that was on the first day of the week. In 1 Corinthians 16, verse 2, Paul, in writing about the offering for the saints in Jerusalem, he says, Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store. Now, this doesn't necessarily prove that that's when the church gathered, but as we look at the New Testament and Acts and different uh, places in the New Testament, it, it really appears like um, the early church met on this day, the first day of the week, and they called it the Lord's Day. 
In Revelation 1.10, where the Apostle John was talking about his, the revelation that was given to him, it tells us that it was on the Lord's Day. He was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. <clears throat> so going back in our thoughts to the, that verse in Ezekiel about the Sabbath being a sign. Are we any better than the Old Testament saints? I believe that having the indwelling of the Spirit in our lives today does give us an advantage over the saints of the Old Testament. But I find that I too need continual reminders of the power of God, the God of creation, and the blessings of deliverance. We have some very important ideas and principles that we find in the New Testament. And I'd just like to talk about one or two of them here. Turn with me to 2 Peter. And in a sense, maybe the next couple minutes here would seem like a deviation from the message about the Lord's Day. But I, I want to point this out, and I think it's a part of the whole picture of thinking about the Lord's Day. In 2 Peter chapter 1, I want to read verses 3 and 4. According as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, through the knowledge of him who hath called us to glory and virtue, I believe that's Christ, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And I want to think about particularly that phrase in verse 4, where it says, being partakers of the divine nature. Did you know that because of what Christ has done for us, we can be partakers? Doesn't mean we're perfect, but we can have a part of God's nature in us through the work of the Holy Spirit. What a privilege. Is that important? Do you ever forget it? Do you need to be reminded at least once a week? Turn with me also to... Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. Verse 
I want to read verses 19 to 22. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. Let me just make a comment about that, about entering into the holiest. In the temple, in the tabernacle and in the temple, there were two rooms. And one was reserved for the high priest only. And only once a year, only one day out of the year was anybody allowed to go in there. And it was only the high priest and only with blood for a sacrifice. It was the only way he was allowed to go in. Now, what does it say here? Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. We're not now the high priest entering in with the blood of a lamb. But notice verse 20 says, by a different way, by a new and living way, which he hath consecrated for us, through the veil, that is to say, his flesh. And remember that veil was torn when Jesus died. Okay, we can enter into the presence of God. And having an high priest, which is Christ, over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Again, what a privilege. Notice the next verses. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. And so much the more, as you see the day approaching. <clears throat> Notice how the privilege of having Christ as our high priest and being able to come to God is linked to an admonition to come together as a brotherhood. And not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. To remind us of what God has done for us. I think of Peter's uh, testimony. And you can read this in, in that same chapter in Second Peter 1. But there, Peter tells us that he had the privilege of being with Christ when Christ was transfigured or transformed on the Mount, what we call the Mount of Transfiguration. Now imagine that you had the privilege of seeing Jesus transformed and hearing a voice that says, this is my beloved son, hear him. Wouldn't you live on that the rest of your life? But you know what Peter said about that? He said, 
We have a more sure word of prophecy. And Peter put more value in the prophecy in God's written word than he did on that experience of seeing Christ and hearing God's voice. Shouldn't it be important to us to gather together to hear this more sure word of prophecy? What is rest? You know, we talk about a day of rest. And I want to talk about that just a little bit before I come to the conclusion here. As I think about and talk about Sunday as a day of rest, I'm not just referring to taking a nap Sunday afternoon or dozing off Sunday mornings. Sometimes we as preachers don't get a whole lot of rest on Sunday. Sometimes we have to preach twice. That's not real restful in case you never had the privilege of doing it. For me... This rest includes and maybe primarily refers to laying aside our mental engagement with the week's activities. And maybe the week's activities are how we earn a living or how we clean and decorate the house or the papers we need to write for school or the wildlife we found in the woods. laying that aside, and focusing on God and his work in my life. Again, laying aside our mental engagement with the week's activity and focusing on God and his work in my life. I think it means being particularly intentional about my spiritual life, my relationship with God, in my relationship with my family and the brotherhood. For some people that maybe spend most of the week at a desk, maybe rest, that is laying aside the mental engagement with the week's activity, maybe that includes some physical activities. As we look at all this, what do we conclude? I think it's pretty clear that both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, there are principles behind the observance of the Sabbath day. Some of those principles are recognizing and remembering God and Christ as creator, as deliverer, as Redeemer and Resurrected Lord. I believe that setting aside one day in seven as a day of rest and worship in the time in which we live, without being legalistic about it, you know, Romans 14, is God's design for us today.
Sometimes preachers talk about creation principles and redemption principles. A creation principle is something that God put in place way back in creation. And it seems to me that a day in seven, an observance of the Lord's day, goes back to creation. I think it's a creation principle. And then we talk about redemption principles. And those are things that uh, are for the New Testament era. Things that Christ instituted or changed. Redemption principle. And it seems to me that Christ's resurrection and honoring that one day a week is a redemption principle. Something that God has ordained for this era. So, it seems to me that the Bible clearly gives us ideas and principles that apply to setting aside a day in seven for God's glory. Would you kneel with me in prayer?